This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sector's podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. Today's episode, sponsored by our friends at Destinations International. The 2023 summit season is just around the corner, and first up is the Marketing and Communications Summit the preeminent gathering place of marketing, communications, and PR professionals dedicated to helping DMOs thrive. This year's summit will challenge you to think about your role within your organization as communities tackle new and diverse issues. Topics include social media and blog content strategy creation, building creative environments for your agencies and staff, working with freelancers and influencers, and developing your optimal technology resource toolbox and using real-time data to influence destination stewardship and management. It's the Marketing and Communication Summit, February 13 through 15, in one of my favorite towns, Norfolk, Virginia. For more information and to register, go to destinationsinternational.com slash upcoming hyphen events. And now it's on to our show. Vale Ross is STR's Senior VP of Sales and Marketing and is responsible for the overall coordination, functional management, and leadership of the company's business development and marketing strategies. Vale is often a featured speaker at international, national, and regional conferences, and she serves in several industry board positions for the Destinations International Foundation, HSMAI Americas, the Tennessee Hospitality Association, and the Greater Nashville Hospitality Association. With STR since 2004, Vale was recognized by International Hospitality Institute as one of the 100 most powerful people in global hospitality in 2022, in 2019 by Hotel Management as one of the most influential women in hospitality, and was the recipient of the 2013 American Hotel and Lodging Association John Whitaker Award. Bill Ross, welcome to DMOU. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you having me today. Oh, absolutely. And this is probably way too long in coming. I mean, as, as we've just rolled over our first 100 episodes and getting into the brand new year of 2023, uh, it's exciting to have you on board. And this all kind of came about as I listened to you during the advocacy summit. We were in a advocacy committee meeting. Everybody was asked to kind of give their reality, their current situation, and what they were looking forward to in the next year. And there were a lot of great comments that happened during that session, but it was yours that really kind of refocused me on the fact that, you know, destination marketing organizations, for the large part, when we mostly were generated in the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, that was kind of the, especially in the 80s, this was all about hotel room nights. I mean, that's why we were created. Mm -hmm. And we've evolved a lot from that point in time. And for you to come up and say, here's what the hotel community is thinking about, really refocused me on, not that hotels are the prime directive of what we do, but I think we may have lost a little sight about what's so important to those who generate the revenues that so many of us work on, right? So while the basic tenets of owning and running a hotel have remained the same, COVID certainly changed the way that many hotel managers view their short and long-term environments going forward. (laughs) DMO pros and hoteliers often come at destination marketing from different perspectives. Right, yeah. What are hoteliers thinking today? And how can DMOs be more effective in responding to their needs? Yeah, 
you're right. There's a lot of things that have changed during COVID of, of how hoteliers are operating. There are some things that haven't changed, but have been elevated. And I can, I can speak a little bit to that due to COVID. You know, right now when we're talking to our hotel customers and clients and, and Amanda Height, our president and CEO who is with the CEOs often, what we're hearing from them that really has changed since COVID, and, and it's no surprise to any DMO um, out there, is really this huge impact of leisure demand that has come in. And there's been conversations in the DMO space and within the hotel space is how long is this going to last? Is it here to stay? How is it going to impact group? How is it going to impact overall corporate business? And what does it do for the negotiations with meeting planners? And all of that then impacts how hoteliers are getting to their occupancy and getting to their rates. Rates have been the highest that they've been ever since STR has been tracking and we're not necessarily seeing that slow down. I think to what hoteliers are thinking today is that they don't think that there will be any slowdown in leisure. You know, we've saw in October a little bit of a shift, a little bit of a slowdown, but it was really due to of the Jewish holidays and, and Halloween. So it's not an indication of a slowdown. What they are telling us and I think the DMOs know this as well, is that group is coming back, mm -hmm. but how hoteliers are looking at group business is very different than what it was pre-COVID times. They are looking to maximize space. They're also looking to maximize labor. Labor is a huge issue for hoteliers right now, and, and it's, it's an issue for most service industry, but as it relates to what hoteliers are thinking, they would rather have a big group in versus five to 10 little groups in because they can manage the labor, they can manage the food costs, sure. they can manage the overall service that is expected because that's really where the struggle in lies is that they don't have the means to be able to service in a way that our industry is, is used to being serviced. So, you know, we hear in the meeting planner space and in some of the DMO space that Hoteliers are not as flexible these days with some of these group blocks. Well, it's it's not necessarily that they're not trying to be difficult. It's the fact that they may not even have the labor to be able to service it. Right. And the corporate business that they have coming back as well is not the big corporate boxes anymore. It's more of these businesses that have to be out on the road. Mm -hmm. And the window of the corporate business is way shorter in the booking time. Yeah. So what that also does is that impacts from a corporate standpoint what kind of rates they're paying because the leisure is there they don't see it slowing down and that is then having impact of group how they're negotiating their group how they're negotiating their corporate and i think the big driver to that is overall cost of labor and overall cost of product and we all know we have a level of expectations of service when we're going into hotels and hotels are very aware of that and aware of the fact that we don't want to sacrifice service because we're not equipped to be able to give the level of service that is expected. So lots of other elements that are impacting the hotel industry. You know, as, as many of us know, it is one of the paid accommodation space that is regulated very heavily and not necessarily the same as others. And that has a lot of implications of the bottom line sure. to hoteliers and what they're thinking. So interesting thought that 
you're sensing that they'd like to have big events. The multiple smalls really puts a pressure on them. Mm-hmm. And leisure is leisure. You know, when I was back in Madison a gazillion years ago, one of the things that we kind of camped out on is we said, you know, you all have your own sales teams in all your hotels, and you're doing the 30s and the 50s and the 100s that you can host. Do you believe that maybe what those of us that are in the meetings acquisition part of our industry, is it really about that DMOs should only focus on multiple property pieces of business, the really big stuff, because the little stuff is really a strain on our hotels and they'd rather, rather than do little stuff, they'd rather do leisure? You know, I think it depends on the asset mix in the DMO space. So if you are a destination where you primarily have big box hotels that are heavily driving business at your convention center, you know, I think from a hotel standpoint, if it is a resort hotel in one of these locations where leisure is heavily impacting their occupancies, they're likely going to want to negotiate with the DMO, a bigger group versus the smaller one. Yeah. Because of the fact that, again, the strain on labor, food costs, and just overall service, if they know that leisure demand is there and it's the seasonal you know, time, it's going to be hard for them to support multiple little groups from a labor standpoint and the transient. Now, I think smaller destinations, it may be that from a group standpoint that yeah. you do want a smaller group that maybe comes in three days. I think then it gets into the strategy of, is it the right days? Are they the right days? And that, you know, that's not new practice for any DMO out there and working with their hotel partners. Mm-hmm. But there's been a huge shift on what days are the slow days, post-COVID versus pre-COVID. You know, historically, Thursdays and Sundays were kind of a wash. So meeting planners really had some negotiating power on rates if they were bringing in a group, say, on a Sunday night, say, or being able to stay through a Thursday. Now, those Sundays and Thursdays are just the second strongest days to weekends. So where the negotiating days now are, are that... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the middle of the week. It's not those shoulder days. So Hmm. I think it's going to be for some of those destinations that may not have huge convention centers and the meeting space they have is within the hotels themselves. It's a matter of, it may be worthwhile having a smaller group in, but is it the right day? Is it the right mix, the right timing? That more than ever has been heightened since COVID, more so than it was prior to. Yeah. And for all of us, it really comes down to what is it in your destination? I mean, every destination is different. Every need is different. Uh, And it was fascinating. I saw a study that was done recently uh, of a state's DMOs. It was like, you know, 10 of 30 DMOs responded. So it wasn't exactly representative. But (laughs) what it did say was that for those that did respond, only... I'd say half of the bureaus had contact with their hotel community more than once or twice a year. Yeah. And that's an absolute recipe for disaster because we need to know what our primary recipient of our work, which is the hotels, 
what they're thinking, what they're needing. And, and every destination is going to be, like you said, a little bit different. Yeah, I think that's the missed opportunity. You know, in our pre-episode conversation, we talked about the fact that occupancy and ADR are still important. I mean, those are still, and RevPAR as well, still important measures for all hoteliers. But more importantly, you're saying that today they are more focused on how their operations achieve those measures mm-hmm. than anything else. So what are some of the challenges that those of us outside of the lodging world would never expect that hoteliers have to deal with? Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, we have continued to see very strong demand and RevPAR, and that has translated well for our hotel partners in overall revenues and profits. And you know, they're at actually currently right now, they're, they're higher than they were in 2018. But some of these pressures that are being put specifically on hotels, and, and I alluded to it a little bit earlier, are around different regulations that other paid accommodations are not essentially held to. So STR and yeah. all the major hotel companies and, and a lot of DMOs as well are involved in the American Hotel and Lodging Association, which as DI is the advocate for the destination world, AHNLA is the advocate and the voice of the hotel industry. And they are constantly working on behalf of the hotels to protect some of these um, regulations that are put upon them that really do impact the bottom line that does have so much influence on profitability and has so much influence on really what hotels can do from a negotiating standpoint when groups are coming in. You know, one of the things that have come that's come out of COVID, it's it's always been a, a bit of a battle between the unions and the hotels and, and different regulations. But the difference today that the hotels are having to combat is that specifically in the space of labor contracts is that originally those would be all, you know, negotiated through their CBAs. But now what's happening is that we're starting to see legislation being pushed through at local levels that are just impacting hotels, which then play into their ability of labor and occupancy. And an example of that would be in specifically, it's just hit California. However, the concern is, is that we'll start to see trickle down um, legislation in, in other areas. But for example, in Irvine, there is an ordinance that's in place, and right now it's already in um, Los Angeles, Glendale, Santa Monica, several West Hollywood, California, where there is a workload limitation measures, which what that means is that there's only a certain amount of square footage that a housekeeper can clean within any given shift. And if they have to clean more square footage outside of that, then the pay has to be two times pay or three times pay or one and a half. And the minimum wage in like Anaheim right now, it's in a ballad where the minimum wage is $25 an hour. Wow. So why this is important and why DMOs may not realize these pressures that hotels are are having is that it is getting Mm -hmm. involved. It is having those conversations. But if I'm already in a situation, if I'm a hotel operator and I'm already in a shortage of labor, and now I have to be mindful of how much square footage housekeeper is cleaning within a particular time, it slows down how quickly I can flip those rooms. It impacts my ROI for the overall minimum wage. And we are an industry that we know 
pays well already. Mm-hmm. So the difference today that some of these hoteliers are having to combat and, and rely on organizations like the American Hotel and Lodging Association to, to help them is that these are now not just part of the overall negotiations, the collective bargaining agreements. It is now individuals that are getting elected to city council and are pushing these ordinances through legislative process. And that is a very different approach than what historically we've had to to work in. Some other areas that we've heard through AH and LA is there are some communities that are lifting any type of regulation on um, short-term rentals. And as we know, most other paid accommodations, when DMOs and hotels bring in big groups, they benefit from that overflow and that compression. And they're not taxed the same way. They're not regulated the same way. How can we get that to be more of a fair playing field? So those types of pressures that have always been there on hoteliers and hotel operators have just really been exacerbated since COVID and are now, they're having to fight them differently. And again, to your earlier point, having those conversations with your hotel partners, being involved, making sure there's collaboration between your state hotel and lodging association and the CBB, which I think they already know that I'm kind of preaching to the choir, but I think we lose sight of that because of everything else that we're trying to do as DMO professionals, as well as hotel professionals, we get stuck in our bubble and we need to make sure that we're coming back and getting on the same page and understanding these outside pressures that are going to have impact. And to that point, not that I had the inside track, it was just a response to when I was back running the Madison CBB, I just felt that there was a disconnect. I mean, we had GMDOS meetings every month and we were talking about common issues, but I didn't really sense that we were getting to the core issues of running a hotel, of making it a viable operation. Mm -hmm. And so in my last couple of years, we ended up setting up, I think it was every other month, that I and all the GMs would get together at happy hour and just shoot the shit, right? Because for those of us that don't come from hotels, and I didn't, I came from marketing. Yep. So, you know, we don't understand all this stuff when we get in and we don't understand the pressures that they're under or, or how they run their business or hell, we, most of us, if we come from another uh, sector, RevPAR, the hell is that, right? And, and those meetings that we had over cocktails really built a bond between (laughs) them and the Bureau that we actually cared. It's a little thing, but it gets me to the fact that we need to be more empathetic about the stresses that they're under. I mean, yeah, we've grown beyond heads and beds, but they still are the primary recipient of the work that we do because if we're doing our work, we're driving overnight occupancy. Just to add to that too, I think understanding the pressures that the hotels have in being able to drive occupancy if it's due to labor shortage or due to certain regulations, or is it the fact that it's a matter of timing? You know, this is stuff that we all know that the DMOs and the hotels are huge contributors to the economic development and growth of communities. And there could be components that are impacting those occupancy levels, which in turn impact occupancy taxes, which in turn, you know, impacts funding. How does the DMO professionals know what those are to help then assist, whether it is through advocacy, you know, lobbying at the, the county or, or city commission, 
those types of things are key as partners within the DMO space and your hotel uh, partners as well, especially in markets too. You know, there's been a lot of talk about homelessness and how that impacts tourists. Well, there was again legislation that was tried to get pushed through in LA where they wanted to force hotels to accept homeless in their hotels. Now, obviously there's a huge problem with the homeless issues in our country, but putting them in a hotel room is not the right thing. It's not safe for the hoteliers. It's not safe for the homeless individual on numerous reasons, but that's the kind of stuff that on the county levels and state levels, that there needs to continue to be that dialogue and whether, and, you know, most times the best dialogue is over a cocktail or a cup of coffee. Yeah. And, and we need to be their advocate as well. When those kinds of things like the LA putting homeless into empty right. hotel rooms, I mean, that's just, yeah, it sounds good on the surface, like so many things, yeah. but it is not the answer. So here's my side question for you. You mentioned short-term rentals yeah. and I look back on when that phenomenon began and, you know, Marriott and Hilton and all the big said, ah, it's no big deal. Well, obviously it's a big deal. <laughs> so tell me yeah. how the hoteliers that you work with and the, the corporations that you work with are viewing that now. And what can DMOs do to be an advocate on behalf of those who do follow the rules, who do go through the regulations who do pay the taxes mm -hmm. so that we can get back to a level playing field. And I think that's the biggest thing. I think from a hotelier standpoint, there's always been alternative paid accommodations. Yeah. It's a matter of the fact that hotels are singled out for so many different regulations that don't apply to short-term rentals, that don't apply to bed and breakfast, that don't apply to hostels. And why is Or anybody. And that's where the hotel companies are really where their heads are. It's not about competition. It's not about not wanting Airbnb and VRBO in the space or any of that. It's a matter of we have to be treated the same way and not be hindered, not have our hands tied. And that's why, you know, the CEOs are so heavily engaged in AH and LA because that is their voice. They're the ones that are on the Hill yeah. that are making sure that whether it be at the state Hill or the national Hill, that they're being protected and treated the same way. And that, that has not yet been the case. And it's been a battle now by states where there are some states that have been trying to push through where there's no regulations yeah. on short-term rentals. And not only is that an impact for hotels, but that's an impact for communities. What that does for you know, affordable housing, it's a huge problem. And that's where the DMOs do need to be engaged. And I think a lot of them are, but that is where being so close and tied into what types of legislation is trying to be pushed through at the state level or the local level that will have implications not only on your hotel partners, but on your overall community that at the end of the day also drives a great place to live and people want to go and stay. So it's a continued battle to be treated fairly. They have definitely, they meaning AHNLA have come a long way and, and fighting these types of fights, but they're having to do it state by state, which is a very long way of doing it and expensive yeah. way of doing it. But that's just the reality of it because there is no federal regulation on it. It's all state mandated. Yeah. And maybe it's just the mix of the communities that we're working with, but I got to tell you that almost every single community that we've worked with in the past six, eight, 10 months is struggling with the fact that up to in one of our communities, 15% of the available 
housing has been snapped up by short-term rental. Yeah. And so that- It's a huge problem. Yeah, it puts a huge pressure on the fact that- <laughs> The very people yep. that we need to service yep. our economy can't afford to live or can't find housing for 20, 30 miles away from their job. So that means, you know, you're- you know, you're working the late shift at a restaurant or a, or a nightclub, yeah. you know, you're not getting home till two or three o'clock in the morning, if not later. And then you got to get up the next morning and do your thing. So it's a huge issue that I don't think that a lot of our politicians see the end game. They see the, right, oh, right. well, it's your property. You should be able to do anything you want with it. Okay. That sounds good. But in yeah. the end, it doesn't help the community at large. So Final question. I want to shift away from the, the hotel side, and we can't let you go without congratulating you on being named chair of the Destinations International Foundation this past summer. Tell us what the foundation is up to under your leadership and what we can expect in 2023. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be in this position and, and have um, some big shoes to fill from the past chairs, but it is an exciting time for the foundation and we just had a development committee meeting and we have hit a all-time goal of fundraising. Very cool. Um, we hit almost $1.2 million in fundraising for the foundation. And why that's important is that the foundation is the innovator and really the incubator of the industry for programs that are being created to then eventually be part of the services and uh, research that the industry can use and it be dis distributed through the association. You know, these monies that are raised do not go to operation expenses of the foundation. It goes to drive research, to figure out what programs the industry needs, what type of you know, research needs to be done to bring topics such as EDI to the forefront. Um, it expands our global reach. Obviously, we're Destinations International. So what can these funds do to help destination organizations internationally that may have different needs than historically the U.S. destinations and DMOs? So what I would say is that I'm definitely not going to change a whole lot right. because it's not broken. We took a lot of time about six years ago to get real clarity as to what is the role of the foundation and how do we support the association, which in turn supports the broader industry. And we have come up with a clear understanding that we are that innovator and incubator for the industry, for the new ideas and programs. And that has been the reason why we've been able to be so strong in our fundraising efforts because there is clarity of what these funds do. They underwrite EDI. They are allowing the um, event impact calculator to be able to have currency conversions to support a global expansion. 30 under 30 was a program that is all funded by the foundation. So I think for 2023, we want to keep the momentum. All the funds that were raised in 22 will be going to either continue to support or to grow new programs that the foundation is charged with, as well as making sure that there are going to be other things that come up as more of these headwinds come up through our destination organizations and what they have to deal with. And the foundation will play a role in creating programs to support those efforts. 
one of the goals that I do have is to make sure that we are definitely out there talking about the foundation um, because we do want to really continue the momentum of fundraising so that we have more money than ever to be able to create more programs and support the ones that we already have. About 25% of the DI members contribute to the foundation and only about 20% of their business partners. Our goal is to double that in 2023 and doing that through messaging, doing it through education, also just some simple things that we can do that we've never done before that will help that as well. But it's going to be critical that we continue forward with the proposed work of the foundation in 2023, as there'll be also new work that will have to be done to support our members in the battles in which they are coming up against in 23 and beyond. Yeah. And full disclosure, I'm a member of the foundation board and thank you for allowing me to serve. But, uh, you know, we're destination marketers, right? Emphasis on marketing. I think we've done a lousy job of communicating what the foundation does because you just yeah. you just laid it out. All of the really cool projects and products that have powered us forward in the way we think, the way we operate, the way this sector just lives has come from the foundation. Yeah. And that that few members and partners are investing in the foundation for the future, we need to step that up. And so tell me where I can help because that's what it's all about. The foundation has been, even I, when I came onto the foundation, was unaware of the breadth of the thought leadership that is coming out of that organization. So thank you. And thanks for all you do with the foundation and with SDR. I mean, you have been a huge leader in just the thought leadership of where this industry needs to go. And so with all that, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So for more on STR and the foundation, where should uh, listeners go? For um, STR, you can just go to str.com and learn everything or follow us on uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, I think LinkedIn is probably the best of up-to-date trends and white papers that are out there. Okay. For the foundation, I would go to destinationsinternational.com and click on the foundation to learn about all the things that we're working on. All right. So time for the bonus round question. You know, interestingly that we're both in the foundation, we both thought we were going to be political (laughs) science majors. I mean, I was going to be a political science commentator and you were going to be a lobbyist. And all three of my daughters were dancers. You professionally danced before getting into this industry. How did you get to hospitality from poli sci and dancing to hospitality help us see that path yes it's a very interesting path so full disclosure (laughs) i was a i had a great gpa in college but i was a horrible standardized tester so after i finished my undergraduate i was thinking okay i need to either go to law school or graduate school if i want to be a lobbyist and i just stunk at standardized (laughs) testing so a friend of mine said well you can get into Nashville Law School, and it's just for a lobbying standpoint, it's just good to under to have that law background, but you don't really need a law degree to be practicing. You just really need the fundamentals. So I was an assistant manager at Eddie Bauer at the time. So I needed to get out of the retail hours and find something more eight to five, because then my plan was to go to Nashville Law School at night. So I went through a little headhunting firm at the time, and I, one of the interviews I got was with the Back then, it was the Tennessee Hotel and Motel Association as their director of membership services. 
So I interviewed with the woman who um, is still a, a fabulous mentor today. And she said to me, I need someone who is okay talking to strangers and can read a map because you're going to be reading a map and driving all over the state. This was back in the day when you actually had to like <laughs> pull out a map. There was no devices anywhere. Right. So I said, well, I can do that. Days. And one of the one of the roles was to work with the lobbyists. And I thought, well, great. Now I can get hands-on experience of like what a lobbyist really does. Well, let's just say about two, three months into it, working with the lobbyists, I thought there is no way I want to be a lobbyist. Uh, this is just miserable. The, t the constant, you know, back scratching and BS. I was like, right. I don't want to do this. But it opened my eyes to the hospitality industry. You know, our board of directors was a mixture of DMOs, you know, Butch Spiritum was on our board, yep. Jack Vaughn, who you know, started Opryland Hotel, all of these hoteliers and DMOs were present and restaurateurs. And I learned about the Star Report. I learned about why occupancy was important to a community, what economic drivers that tourism brought to a community. So it really just opened my eyes to a whole nother world. And it was a really fun industry. And I learned a lot. And I learned how to read a star report from my board members. And then when STR was starting a sales department, I was kind of at that point where it was time to make a move. And my mentor encouraged me to apply for the job. And I did. And I was given the opportunity to start the sales organization for STR back in uh, 18, it'll be 19 years next April. Wow. It has been an amazing journey. And I've always, you know, we talk to college students as you probably do as well, Bill, a lot about their career path. And, yeah. you know, nowadays they're just so focused on the right path. And my advice to them is just be open about where things can take you because it may not seem like the path in which you want, but it could open your eyes to something that you never knew was out there and that you're good at. And you can learn things and people will ask you to do things along the way that you ask yourself, why in the hell are they asking me to do this? I have no idea about X, Y, Z, but they're asking you probably because they know that you can figure it out. And yeah. by doing that, you're going to continue to grow. So yes, my journey retail and not being good at standardized testing got me where I was today. <laughs> What a great story. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you weren't good at standardized testing because we need you on this side so badly. So <laughs> thank you so much, Vail. It's been great uh, hanging with you. And uh, yeah. we look forward to uh, the following uh, six, eight months of your uh, reign at the head of uh, our foundation. Thank you so much, Phil. Right. I look forward to it as well. Thank you. And thanks to our sponsor, our friends at Destinations International, the 2023 summit season just around the corner, the first up marketing and communication summit, the preeminent gathering place for marketing, communications, and PR professionals dedicated to helping destination organizations thrive. It's the marketing and communication summit, February 13 to 15 in Norfolk, Virginia, for more information and to register, go to destinationsinternational.com slash upcoming hyphen events. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our services to the DMO world, plus links to past editions of the Z News, our position papers on the industry, the book destination leadership, the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as to links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>